Keontae George conversation. One of the favorites. We've been mentioning him in the pre-draft process. Doug had a conversation with Raphael Barlow about the Baylor product. And Howard Beck is back this time to talk about possible ownership change in the NBA that might affect the Charlotte organization. Nick Richards will be the conversation at the end all today on Locked on Hornets. We're Locked on Hornets, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thank you for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods. And that does include YouTube, where you can continue to see Doug do serious, silly dances. And you can continue to watch me wear the silly, serious hat. As I mentioned in the previous episode, this is where Quail Hollow Walker meets Hornets Walker. <laughs> I thought a bucket hat, the Buzz City Men edition that we talked about on Thursday. I'm letting it roll. I'm just, we're, we're, we're bulk recording this stuff, so I'm letting it roll, man. You can see me in multiple episodes with this thing on. It's fine. I'm just, again, I'm going to contest that this <laughs> hat would not be allowed at Quail Hollow. I think they have standards <laughs> And as uh, fun as that hat looks, I, I'm, I yeah. don't associate, you know, golf club with with fun. And that hat, that bucket hat that has all of these nice little Buzz City emblems on it, I just don't think uh, you look more like a spectator, but like a spectator that cheers for Happy Gilmore. What, that no, 100 percent. Yeah, you will not make <laughs> this putt, you jackass. That's what I look like, 100 percent. Um, all right, Doug, why don't you tell the people what we have in store? You had a couple of conversations with different people helping us out this past week and beyond and Raphael Barlow and Howard Beck. Uh, yeah, this first conversation is going to be the last squeeze of the juice uh, from a long conversation that I had with Raphael Barlow of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, a great draft podcast that you definitely should subscribe to. Uh, people have been loving these segments. They, they, and not because I did them, but because Rafael Barlow is a draft genius and he's giving us a lot of info. Uh, and so this is a continuation of our discussion about sort of the best of the rest in the lottery. We talk about Keontae George. Then we also get into something that I'm really interested in, and that is how NBA bodies are changing, sometimes for the better, but sometimes for the worse, as they play more and more minutes before they ever get to the NBA. And he had so some that's really a different little conversation, like the NBA birds and the bees conversation, how bodies are changing once you get to the association. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was it was puberty esque was this uh, was this conversation. No, it was, but it, was really, it was really fascinating because uh, Raphael is around a lot of these guys as they you know, from, from a real young age, you know, because we're paying attention to prospects at a younger and younger age. And so he's around these guys as they morph and change and play more minutes. And he's been doing this for a while. So cool stuff. I want to talk about a couple of guys that are seem to be falling down some mock drafts and some draft boards. Nick Smith Jr., who I saw in the top five very early on uh, in the middle of the college season. And then Keontae George, who Tankathon currently has in the 14th slot. Uh, which of those guys do you think least deserves to fall at this point? Uh, who do you think people are a little too down on right now, Nick Smith Jr. or Keontae George? Oh, man, that, that's a tough question. Um, and I add why it's a tough question. With, with Nick Smith, we all know that he was injured. He was coming in and out of the lineup, didn't have continuity. And he. it's almost like he would have been better off, like you said about Cam Whitmore, 
if Nick Smith would have shut it down in January, he would have been better off. But when people saw him playing it, and I, I mean, he didn't play like he was injured. He just looked really out of sync, and his rhythm was rhythm was off, which is very natural when you're trying to join your team, mm-hmm. off and on when they've been playing consistently two or three times a week. So I think people are a little bit hard on him, but I also understand why because he looked like a man without a position. Didn't look like a natural one. Right. Didn't look like a two. Looked really thin. It was not able to get to his spots. And then as far as Keontae, he and I've met Keontae. I've done some work with him. I've been watching him work out in Dallas. And he had mentioned to me that he put on a little bit too much weight in the season, coming into the season. Felt like he was 20 pounds over where he was comfortable at. And he's in the, he's he looks a lot different than he did during the season. But then he also mentioned that he played a lot of the second half of the season with a banged up ankle. Mm. He said he had so much tape on it. One foot felt heavier than the other. He didn't have the same burst and lift on his shot. So, I mean, there's context to why both guys struggled. So I don't know exactly which one is, is, is um, has suffered the most, but I think either way teams are going to get a steal. And I, and I think they possibly can be able to get their draft stock up in workouts. Yeah, it's interesting on the George front because I was really excited to see him play in the the college postseason and the tournament to see what he could do. And I felt like he wasn't really going into anywhere close to like a takeover mode um, as Baylor just sort of, you know, duck farted out of the out of the tournament. So uh, that makes a little bit more sense there on the context. I'm curious your overall thoughts because you've been paying attention to this for a long time on. The fact that we have a lot of freshmen uh, available in this draft, but a lot of them seem to have gone through a lot, you know, just in their basketball careers already, even though they've only played one year of college or maybe, you know, G League or whatever. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of conversation about how much, how many miles are are on th- these bodies as they enter the NBA. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, do, do you feel like these guys that are coming in as freshmen – Though they might not be prepared in terms of experience, their bodies are wearing a lot of a, a lot of miles already. Definitely, I I went to a symposium a few weeks back, and it was a strength and conditioning coach from a Power Five school, and he had mentioned that nobody that's not in the NBA should be doing more than like seventeen hours of seventeen hours a week of hard workouts and activities. Hmm. And even though 17 hours may sound like a lot, it's it's pretty common because a lot of these guys, somebody sees the potential and the potential earning power, and they're basically telling them, you got to get in the gym, you got to work out. And they're working out every day. Then with the high school season, you know, high school season may end in what, March for most guys. Well, the AU season starts in March. And sometimes they overlap depending on how far a team goes into the state tournament. So you're having guys literally playing all year long. I actually talked to a parent, and and we had this conversation two weeks ago, and 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 he used to film like his team of like fourth graders. And what's crazy about how it ties into this is, a few years back when I was filming fourth graders in Dallas, I had no, no idea that I was filming guys that are projected in this draft. I was filming for Casey Wallace's team. I had no idea when he was mm. like nine that he was going to be a you know potential lottery pick but in right. those same games that i was watching there's Keontae george there's anthony black there's um 
someone told me Derek Whitehead was on the team. So it was a bunch of guys that were playing. So anyway, this particular coach said, yeah, you know, that summer I, I was so proud of our record and I tracked how, what our record was for the summer. And he's like, I realized we played a hundred games that summer oh with nine-year-olds. And That's I said, insane. what? He said, yes. He said, we were nine. He said, only thing we were thinking as coaches is we're winning this tournament because we were so good. We just kept advancing and kept advancing. So sometimes you're playing two games a day, three games a day, and, you know, four, four, five games a weekend, starting from April until August. And he's like, we played 100 games. So with all that being said, yes, these guys' bodies are worn down because someone is – Kind of, kind of telling him you got to play in this tournament, or if you don't play in this tournament, you're running from somebody. And I think it's 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 bad for, especially the NBA teams, because by the time they get them and they're paying all this money, they're worn down. Yeah, well, especially because I mean the rookie scale contracts are favorable to teams, but then they they get three or four years down the road, and you get even more miles, and then you've got to make the decision on yeah. giving on giving the big contract. And that's where it can get a little dicey. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this develops over the next few years as these guys get younger and younger that are coming in the draft, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll kind of see how it how it all factors in. Uh, final question for you, Raphael, uh, in in this particular segment will be: Is there a name that we have not talked about as we sort of peruse the the names that could be available to the Hornets at one through eight? Have I not mentioned a name at this point that you think uh, would be, would be worth keeping an eye on if you're Mitch Kupchak and and this team here with the Charlotte Hornets? Well, there's a guy that I'm really high on. I was high on him prior to the season. I was high on him during the season, even though he struggled a little bit. And I've had a chance to be around him and watch him work out. And I think when it's all said and done, if everything aligns right, he could be a top five player in this class Whoa. you don't have to go far to get him and i know some north carolina fans may not like the name but it's gg jackson a guy that okay. came to north carolina i mean he was he started the season off at 17 years old with 17 playing in the sec and he you know turned i think 18 in december so he was still extremely young for his class and, and just, he, just young period and i think when the season starts this year he'll still only be eight years old tremendous upside can handle the ball can shoot and uh, you know there are some concerns about maturity but it's not like the maturity that if you're a hornets fan which you guys have had your own bouts with players yeah, being i've had plenty of but those is issues more, yeah <laughs> yes but this is more like a, the immaturity of a, a a kid that is a great kid not going to get in any trouble off the court but it was just showing a lot of flashes of immaturity with his body language and his reaction to losses, hmm. but okay. not like a guy that I think is going to have any issues like off the court and falling in love with the NBA lifestyle and the money that comes along with it. I mean, he's like a, a pure kid with a grown man's game and grown man's talent, hmm. but he has a good support system around him. But that's a guy that I would keep an eye out for. Okay. Gigi Jackson right now, Tankathon has him at 21. So that could kind of segue into some conversations that Raphael and I are going to have a little bit later as we get closer to the lottery, which is what do the Hornets do with that second first-round pick? Do they even make that second first-round pick? We don't know. Uh, but if they do, we'll talk about some names like Marcus Sasser, Leonard Miller, Derek Whitehead, and Gigi Jackson as well. But until then, 
Thank you so much, Raphael. Make sure you're following on, on Twitter at Raphael500. And also make sure you're subscribed to the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. It's every single day NBA draft talk, mock drafts, big boards, all the stuff that we've been talking about here, but you get a little bit of all the teams and all the players. So do make sure that after you listen to this, you go and hit the subscribe button on that podcast. Raphael, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Looking forward to touching base again as we get closer to the draft. Awesome stuff. Finally, the end of a great long series with Raphael Barlow. Again, make sure you check him out. Locked on NBA Big Board. If you want all of your draft knowledge up to date with the players that the Hornets could be taking, maybe it's first overall in Victor Webinyama. We have that episode uh, episode for you. Scoot Henderson ending with Keontae George a little bit there. So really, if you're interested in any of the prospects Charlotte could uh, take within the first six picks or so, we have those episodes for you. Just go back, look in the archives, wherever you get your podcast, and you can go back and watch those episodes as well on youtube this episode is brought to you by ebay motors for a championship team it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit it's the same when it comes to your vehicle every part needs to fit just right so the next time you need parts and accessories head to ebay motors and with ebay guaranteed fit you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around just add your ride to the my garage tab and look for the green check to know the part will fit or you get your money back Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, get the right fit, get the right prices, all on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Stay tuned for the Howard Beck conversation coming up next. Thanks again to Raphael Barlow. Now we'll transition to Howard Beck. He's back with us. I know he spoke to Doug in the previous episode, but I'm interested in this because Doug, as we mentioned, Howard Beck, uh, monster rider, big time guy that's been covering the NBA for a long time, covered the awesome Lakers teams with Kobe and Shaq, and he's been in New York as well. You've heard him on the Low Post podcast frequently. What up, Beck? You niche NBA podcast listeners, you know exactly who Howard is. And this big picture conversation, not only does it relate to the Hornets, but it's just really interesting to hear this convo that uh, you told me about with him um, about ownership in the NBA and that change. Doug, what did you guys talk about here as a little tease? Well, yeah, so he wrote an article for GQ called It's It's an Exceptionally Hard Decision, Mark Lazary on Selling His Share of the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a guy uh, that, you know, lifted up the trophy, won a championship as as an owner of the Milwaukee Bucks and decided, despite all of that, to walk away. And so we've we've got a situation here where Michael Jordan is exploring possibly doing a similar thing, uh, but maybe taking a step back into a minority stakeholder in the team, uh, but selling the team, you know, so I wanted to know why Mark Lazary did it. Uh, what kind of person decides to own a team? Why does a person decide that maybe owning a team isn't as fun anymore? And I think we got some pretty good insight uh, from Howard and his conversation with Mark Lazary. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I, I did. I'm excited about this one. Yeah, let's take a listen right now. Here's Doug with Howard Beck. I want to talk about this excellent uh, GQ article that you wrote. It's titled, It's an Exceptionally Hard Decision, Mark Lazary on Selling His Share of the Milwaukee Bucks. So this this article was relevant to me and I think should be relevant to a lot of Hornets fans because 
there are more than rumors. Uh, there are confirmed reports that uh, the Michael Jordan is exploring options uh, to sell a majority stake that he owns uh, in the Charlotte Hornets. So my first question is, why was it a hard decision for Mark Lazary to sell? Because it seems like it, it might be a hard decision for Michael Jordan to sell as well. Why was it a hard decision for Mark? So thanks for that. Oh, yeah, it was a hard decision for Mark Lazary um, because, you know, you know, as a, as an owner, as one of the co-owners of the Bucks for the last, you know, decade or so, I think it was maybe nine years, um, he's one who was really invested more than financially, right? I think owners, you know, and every owner, uh, every team in this in this league, for the most part, has multiple owners, not all of them. A lot of them have multiple owners. And so if you own a majority share, a, a minority share, whatever it may be, you got into it because you were probably a fan first, right? You didn't just do it as an investment. You know, a lot of these guys are billionaires. I think maybe the majority are billionaires by now. But you don't buy a share of or a majority stake in a sports franchise unless you really love sports there are better i don't know how many better in, uh, investments there are out there but there are, there are other investments you could make and you do this one because it has the added benefit of there's some status hey i'm the owner of you know the bucks i'm the owner of the hornets i'm the owner of the pelicans whoever mm -hmm. there's some status for sure um it sets you apart from your fellow billionaires not everybody can buy into these clubs um there's only so many uh teams and shares to go around um, and it's fun. It's fun. So my, that was kind of my first question to Mark was like, you know, look, I, I know how much you enjoy this. Isn't it hard to just decide to walk away? Like I, I get that you are making literally hundreds of millions of dollars in profit <laughs> in selling the share that you, you bought nine years ago. And, you know, maybe as a pure investment, uh, vehicle, it's just too great of an opportunity not to cash out now. And I think that's really how the scales tipped for, for Mark is that yes, he loved being uh, a, an owner of the bucks and they had a rotating thing with who was going to be the governor and all that stuff. So he was, you know, yeah. they were co-owners, but at times he was kind of like the majority guy because he was, he was the governor. Um, to give that up was very difficult. He enjoyed it a lot, but I think the, the practical part of him and the financially minded part of him uh, that saw this also as an investment looked at it and said, I never thought values would be this high. You know, um, the valuation of the bucks was whatever, five point mm -hmm. something billion. And so his share was, you know, northward of 800 million. He, I think he bought it, that his share was, you know, two to 300 million. Like, <laughs> how do you say no to that? Um, and so I think I, I, it cuts both ways here. They won a championship a yeah. couple of years ago. So on the one hand, you got to achieve and, and experience the highest highs as an owner of a franchise. The flip side of it is, so it's hard to walk away from that because it's so fun. On the flip side is you've already done it, right? You've yeah. got to experience that. A lot of owners are going to go their entire career as owners without ever getting to experience that. So Mark got that. So maybe that made it a little bit easier to walk away too. But he loves the relationships that he formed over those years, whether it's with current players like Giannis, obviously, or in getting to know guys like Oscar Robertson. Um, and I think he really enjoys being in this realm. And he, he, is, he is going to launch some kind of... Um, sports uh investment fund within his firm so he's going to stay involved in sports as an investor on some level and it wouldn't surprise me actually if mark bought into another even an, another nba team at some point uh but this it, it seemed like this was just kind of too good of an opportunity financially to pass up uh, that's interesting it feels like when one team sells 
you know, it sets the valuation, it sets the mark. And it's really a litmus test for a lot of the owners. It's like, how much do you really love being an owner? Because you might love it a little bit, but not enough to pass up uh, this huge payday. And, and I've made this analogy to other people that I've talked about this with that owning an NBA franchise or owning a sports franchise seems a little bit like the old adage about owning a boat that like the best days that you own a boat are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. But especially I, I think, and maybe you might disagree with this or you might, you know, in your conversation with Mark, um, you know, have some additional context to add to this, but it feels like, especially for small to mid market size teams, it can be very difficult to look at the financials year to year and be satisfied with your investment, even though all evidence points to the fact that the day you sell the franchise, you're going to make buku bucks. Yeah. But year to year, it can be a, a tougher proposition. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit, too, because I, this is something I've really been fascinated by in, in my years of covering the league that um, – you know the big market versus small market thing is is real um it it doesn't always you know apply across the board to every team in terms of what they're they're grappling with but there there is a dynamic there right uh, on a couple different levels one is that players generally prefer the bigger markets or uh, as i sometimes call them just the glamour markets right like mm -hmm. miami's a kind of a mid-sized market but it's a glamour market right players prefer being in miami than minneapolis um that's no shot at minneapolis it's just the reality right and they get it they the, the teams all understand this their fans understand this um so there's that aspect the other aspect is new york la a couple other places make such an incredible amount off of their local tv rights deals that they can just simply outspend the smaller markets so you know we've seen the warriors and the clippers in particular go you know way into the luxury tax and now the new cba is going to try to ratchet down or make it harder for those teams to just you know keep running laps around everybody else in terms of their spending and so there's that gap as well so if you're a small market owner if you're if you're michael jordan if you're mark lazary you're looking up every day and going how do i keep up with the warriors spending and the clippers spending and you know do i need to is there a way to do this smartly and not have to now the bucks won a championship um, they did have to go into the tax at, at some point along the way here. And they've probably, you know, by, by pure, you know, business terms, they've, they've been deficit spending, right? They're spending more than they're bringing in. And so that's why I put the question to, to Mark at one point in our interview was, is owning a team just purely an investment? Is it a, a, a vanity play? Uh, as I put it at one point, which I think he kind of recoiled at a little bit. That was probably not the, the most diplomatic of phrasing by me. <laughs> um, but it is like the, the part of it where it's a, the status symbol, and he acknowledged that. Um, yeah. Or is it a business? Because in a in a normal in a normal business, um, you make X amount, and that hopefully that X is larger than the uh, Y of your spending. You're supposed to turn a profit right. in most businesses. We kind of have stopped expecting that of NBA owners, or probably Major League Baseball and NFL owners too. I don't cover those sports because we're saying your franchise is going to increase in value by such a dramatic amount that whatever day that comes that you decide to sell you're going to make this massive profit in the hundreds of millions why should we the fans or media or anybody else care that you have to deficit spend on a year-to-year -year basis to stay competitive easy for us to say we're not the ones writing the checks for tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in luxury tax uh bills right but that's the view and that's certainly the view of the, of the players union by the way um which is, you know, this is just part of it. If you want to own an NBA team um, and you want to be competitive, 
if that's what it requires, then that's what you got to do. And if you don't want to do that, then sell to somebody else who will. Uh, I'm not sure where I stand on all of that. I just I just think it's an interesting debate. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think owners getting into this now, you know, wealthy people <laughs> buying shares of teams um, have to kind of expect that if you want to compete at a high level, there's probably going to be years where you're not truly quote unquote turning a profit in the uh, on an annual basis but you know that you're eventually going to sell your share for for a lot but it does make it harder to compete right i, I think it does some teams are not don't feel that they are as capable of spending to that level as as others um which forces them to be a little more creative it may force them to make harder decisions on on players they're letting walk at times certainly um the money was a, a part of the rationale for why the bucks decided to let Mal Malcolm Brogdon walk a couple of years back. So, um, you know, it's, it's a real issue. Uh, the NBA has been trying to grapple with it through multiple CBA cycles and um, not sure if they've gotten there. Another thing that's interesting to me and something that you touch on a little bit in the article um, is this idea of player empowerment, this era that I, I don't know if we're currently living in it or wh where we are in the in the cycle of these things. Uh, I mean, the CBA negotiations seem to be at least returning a little bit of some advantages back to small and mid-market owners uh, at the cost of some of the the glamour markets, as you call them. But we're still in an era where players are, are deciding that they're going to go play where they want to go play and um, signing shorter-term contracts. Do you think that makes it, from the view of, of Mark or anyone else, do you think that makes it less fun uh, or, <laughs> I, I don't know if fun's the right word, but just um, less desirable to own one of these franchises, know, knowing that that's going to make it a little bit more difficult to put together a winning team? It's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I, I think sometimes we don't really know the full effect of these uh, CBA wrinkles as they, you know, you know, rework it every, you know, seven to 10 years. We don't really know the full consequences until it's in, in place for a while. Um, I do think that it's just generally challenging for owners in smaller markets to, uh, to build in in the same way that that the larger markets can with more resources more money basically available to them um i think that th the good news is you know you re you alluded to the player empowerment era and the player empowerment era what we mostly mean there's a there's a bunch of different facets to that but i think we mostly mean this is the era that started when lebron left cleveland for miami right in 2010 and kind of kicked off this era of, of uh, it's actually like superstar mobility, right? Like mm -hmm. player empowerment is not really all 450. That's mostly about the stars. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly about, you know, having a little bit more self-determination about the course of your career. And that means they're moving around more often. And sometimes it's not even through free agency anymore. It's now through forced trades. And initially it was with forcing a trade with a year left. Then it was forcing a trade with two years left. Now with guys are tra forcing trades with four years left uh, and they have the leverage to do so. So that's, that's the empowerment we're alluding to. Um, and I think it makes things more, there's, there's more anxiety built in if you're, if you own a team or are the GM of a team uh, that happens to be fortunate enough to have one of the, the great players in the game. And especially if you're in a smaller market, now they can sour on a large market too, right? You know, I just watched Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant forced their way out of Brooklyn where I live uh, a few months back. So you can sour on any market, right? But I do think there is a, a um, higher degree of difficulty for owners and GMs of small market teams to keep their guy happy, or the onus is, is that much greater because 
the temptation to leave, to go to a warmer market or a bigger market is always there. The Bucks were, you know, had the advantage of having, you know, you know, identified Giannis as a talent, developed him as a talent, had him blossom into an MVP, two-time MVP um, on their watch. And they didn't secure his, his you know, signature on an extension a couple of years ago until they made that trade for Drew Holiday because that was the linchpin. That was the one where right. Giannis said, okay, we're serious here. We just, we just, you know, sent out all these picks and, excuse me, invested in a guy who's a little bit older in his career and everything because he's somebody I know we can win with. And so that's, that's the thing. Like you are, you, that's, and it, it's, it's a good pressure, right? There should be pressure on teams to do the best they can by their superstars and put them in the best possible position to win. Um, if you, if you misfire on that though, that's where the consequences come in. That's where it's, you know, you're, you've got a guy waking up one day and saying, it's time for me to go. And we've seen, you know, uh, you know, countless examples of that over the last 10 years. Well, it's been two decades since the Hornets have won a playoff series, but I hope it's not another two decades before uh, you and I chat again because this was a, a fascinating conversation. Uh, Howard Beck, the article is, it's an exceptionally hard decision. Mark Lazary on selling his share of the Milwaukee Bucks. Go read it uh, at GQ because I think it's going to be um, extremely relevant. Who knows? I mean, you just said Mark might buy into another team. It might be the Hornets. Who knows? So go get to know uh, a little bit about Mark Lazary through that article. Thank you so much, Howard. Really appreciate all the insight you shared with the audience today. I appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff with Howard Beck. We appreciate him back with Doug. Do we have any more Howard Beck, Beck segments? With Doug. Doug? It was be Beck with Doug, you know? Instead of, back, <laughs> instead of back with Doug and back with Doug. <laughs> okay, I was. It's Friday, I did not baby. Get it. <laughs> I was like, wait. Beck, well, I, I think it's because that hat you're wearing. I, I think that hat you're wearing is restricting the blood flow to your brain. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, try to. Oh, yeah, okay, uh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> okay, done. All right, now we are ready to go. <laughs> oh, baby. Uh, any more segments with Howard Beck? Can we come back, Beck, with Howard at all? Did you hold him no, hostage that was like it. you did that Rafael Barlow? Beck, you know, he, he yeah. came in and he dropped all that knowledge on us, and then he's going to fly away and, and you know go report on the NBA playoffs. All right, perfect. Um, well, with that being said, let's drop some knowledge ourselves. On Nick Richards, Doug, uh, continuing the player recaps, an interesting one here today because game one, Nick Richards goes for 19 points against San Antonio, grabs 10 rebounds, Eight of those 10 rebounds were of the offensive variety. Eight of the 10 boards on the offensive end. and just came out like a complete beast, helping the Charlotte Hornets to a 1-0 record. Second game, kind of a dud. Six points, only six rebounds in 26 minutes. The third game of the season in 20 minutes goes for 20 and 11, where five of those are offensive rebounds. The rest of the season... He would not reach 19 or 20 points in any other game that took place. Wow. So it was those two out of the three that he performed the 19 and 20 pointer. We were like, okay, we got our starting center, except it's not Mark Williams. It's Nick Richards. And, and then he was, slowly... but he was doing all of that off the bench. You yes. Know? I yes, mean, th 100%. those big numbers that he put up were, were off the bench. And yet, yeah, I, I think he, you know, as he got into the groove of the season, you know, a lot of that initial spark faded a little bit, but he was consistent enough that the Hornets decided to give him a contract, three years, right. $15 million. 
Um, that's probably going to look like nothing by the time that contract is over. But, you know, second round pick, another second round success story for the Charlotte Hornets. Not bad. No, not bad at all. The three-year contract going for $5 million each of those seasons. I think the reception to that, Doug, even if you're talking about some kind of national opinion, anybody that might be watching the Charlotte Hornets to just know a little bit about every team in the NBA, I think a positive reception, right? I think a lot of people thought, okay, this works. Nick Richards, solid backup, solid backup money that he gets. He'll be there to be the guy off of the pine when Mark Williams needs uh, a breath and Mark Williams clearly is going to be the starter of the future. If you just want an overview of his numbers, Nick had a career high in basically everything, right? You know, he had a career high in minutes played. He played close to 19 minutes per game. He appeared in 65, started nine of them. Just to give you a showcase of what he did the previous year, only seven minutes per game and 50 appearances. So seven to 19 close to it. Averaged eight points per contest, averaged six rebounds. He was a great offensive rebound, as we kind of indicated in those first couple games that he played that were very good. We saw the three-pointer late in the season. The form looked good. I know you think Nick Richards is holding out on us, and the Charlotte Hornets advised him to do so. So we'll see what happens going towards the future with Nick. But this is kind of an interesting player recap, right? Gets a contract at the end of the season, started off hot. Got some DNP CDs once Mark Williams entered the fold, but then Mason was traded, and that allowed Nick Richards to get back on the court. Overall, what do you make of Nick Richards, just how good you feel about him possibly being that backup center you can rely on? I feel okay about it, and honestly, I think the contract is such that if they happen upon another center prospect at some point, you're okay with Nick Richards being your reserve center at three years, $15 million. You know, I mean, they – you, you want to have some depth at that position. And I, I think that's the big story for Nick this season is that he proved that he can be a depth piece for the Charlotte Hornets. And that was not a given coming into this season. I didn't know really what to make of Nick Richards before this season. I, I had seen him make a lot of mistakes in limited minutes that he got in the previous uh, season. And I wasn't sure that he was really long for the Charlotte Hornets roster I thought he had an okay summer league, but then you had Steve Clifford who got into this whole thing late, hired late, got a, got a quick look at Nick Richards, and during training camp, he was singing the praises of Nick Richards. And I think you and I, when we got on the show and talked about it, were like, what? What is what does Steve Clifford see? Like what I, I, I haven't oh, yeah. seen any you know, I haven't seen anything like that. Um, you know, any promise there. Uh, but obviously, uh, Steve had uh, dug a little deeper or saw some of the transformations that had happened over that previous summer. And and he, you know, I think he is a, a little bit of a kind of yes and like, yes, there were improvements and there are plenty more improvements to make. I think at the end of this season, Steve Clifford harped on the fact that Mark Williams is a very smart player and Nick Richards is a very physical player. And I think while he was complimenting both guys, the thing that he didn't say about both players, you can sort of swap those and go, yeah, the negative thing about Mark is that he's not physical enough. And the negative thing about Nick Richards is that he doesn't always play the smartest basketball. And what do I mean by that? I mean, defensively, he's not necessarily where he needs to be on some of these pick and rolls. Like he just takes a step in the wrong direction, gets his feet caught under him and, and the play is broken. Or we saw this a lot with Nick Richards this season, bad screens 
Like we saw it over and over again, he's getting offensive fouls because he's setting bad screens and killing possessions. So if you're talking about growth points for Nick Richards, you know what do, what do we want to see from him in the preseason next season? I just want to see smarter basketball, killing less possessions because he does he does so many positive things by cleaning up bad possessions on the offensive boards, and all of that is great. But if you're also killing offensive possessions, you're you're sort of you're balancing that out in a bad way. So that's what I want to see from Nick Richards next season. Yeah, and the other thing to note here before we end the show is the center rotation. It, it's funny because the last couple of years they've drafted big guys, but now you clearly have an answer as your starter with Mark Williams. But you still do have this—I uh, don't want to say depth, but you have bodies at the center spot. Nick Richards gets the contract. You invested the first round pick in Kai Jones. And I asked Steve Clifford at the end of the season, how do you navigate that three man rotation with all of those guys? And he said, that's what the off season is going to be for. But if you invest a first round pick in Kai Jones, and clearly he's got all of the talent in the world, it's just trying to do something with it and figuring out the best way to do what, you know, whatever. Right. I think clearly he plays his best basketball at the five. So if that's the case for Kai, Nick Richards does have the contract. Mark Williams is the center of the future. It, you've got interesting interesting points of view for each of those players. I will say with the contract, you, you mentioned the figures there. It's a nice sweetener to match any salary, right? Like yep. if, if you're talking about if you just need $5 million to match something, mm-hmm. Nick Richards is a fine throw in and mm-hmm. you're not going to say no to a potential deal that might better you if Nick Richards is that guy. You know what I'm saying? It's not, oh, we have to desperately hold on to the backup center um, in Nick Richards. And so that would be somebody that you might include in some kind of trade. If it sweetens the deal and matches the salaries, I, I wonder if that's another reason why you go ahead and hand out that contract as well. Well, especially if he really can't shoot threes, if the three that we <laughs> saw was, was a little fluky fluky, you know, if he can't mm-hmm. shoot threes, that means that none of your centers can shoot threes. Despite the fact that Kai Jones takes them, he cannot hit them, despite the fact that Steve Clifford believes that someday in the future, Mark Williams might be able to hit threes. I don't expect that to really happen consistently next season. I would be shocked. I would be right. as shocked if that happened for Mark Williams as I was at Nick Richards coming in in those first three games and doing what he did, double-doubles. I think he had nine double-doubles off the bench this season. Like If he does that, you know, then, then I'll be shocked. But none of your centers can shoot three. So if you have a chance to upgrade the position in that way, then I think you have to take it, even if it means um, you know moving off of a second-round success story like Nick Richards. The, the other thing that I would say is that Nick Richards, combined with Kai Jones and combined with Mark Williams, at least makes your center position interesting. And the Charlotte Hornets yep. have not had a center position that was really that interesting for a long time. I mean, obviously they had an all NBA level center in, in Al Jefferson, but in terms of like athleticism, in terms of uh, bodies that make for fun watching of basketball, you know, this is as exciting as it gets in a world of Bismack Biombos and Cody Zellers and Jake Vossels and <laughs> on and on Whoa. primos primos brezic are you going uh, you're going to the sicko brigade yes Jop, unless you want to john a job you know i mean I, yeah the sicko <laughs> exactly i'm talking sicko brigade the center position <laughs> is the center of the sicko brigade because it's just been name after name of guys 
that have, uh, you know, you were just begging to be competent. You weren't even yeah. thinking about them being exciting. So that's what I'll say is that this is the most exciting the center position has been in a very long time. Yeah, Billy Hernan Gomez is not walking through that door, a part of the Seiko <laughs> Brigade. So Nick Richards will have to step up and be right. competent off of the bench to back up one Mark Williams. That'll do it for today's show. Had a lot of different stuff for you. Keontae George, Rafael Barlow, Howard Beck, and then a little player recap regarding Nick Richards for this Friday heading into the weekend. We appreciate you joining us once again, making us your first list and anywhere you get your pods. Make your second listen game to game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result locked on game to game covers every game from across the league with local analysis that only locked on can deliver. Follow game to game on locked on NBA available on the Odyssey app, YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. We'll be back. We'll be back with you on Monday. We'll be back. <laughs>